You've never seen that video, the marshmallow test? Um, oh my God, there's this one kid that I love. Oh, he's so, you, basically you get one candy. You can have one candy now, but if you wait, you could get two candies. But that one candy is sitting there in front of the kid taunting them. Mm. And Theo happens to be my favorite because he has a British accent. And he's like, mommy, it's been 10 minutes. Oh yes, 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 yes. You're bringing me back now. Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined by Sylvie LeBeau. Sylvie, welcome. Hello. I'm waving. We're on video again. We're on video. And also audio. Both. Every medium. We're on text. <laughs> yeah. We're on disappearing chat. What's that thing? I don't even know. Don't ask me. I think most of those services died. Yeah, we don't <laughs> have that. Well, we're here, and we have another exciting episode today. Um, we have David Cancel, who is the co-founder and CEO of Drift with us. And super fun to catch up with him and learn about how he's scaled. And also, it's just fun. I mean, I, I met him like 13 years ago, and we don't talk enough. So I'm really glad he came on the show today. Yeah, you guys are buddies. Yeah, it's cool. And it's funny because, I mean, we talk about it in the interview of like literally how we met. Yeah. What's got you talking too loud over there? You know, um, it's funny. I <laughs> This just going to not seem like the most interesting thing, but I found it so interesting. If it's Web3... It's not. No. Don't worry. I am the parent rep for Olympia's class. Love She's that. She's in nursery. She's four. What does a parent rep and, do? Uh, a parent rep, we you know communicate to other parents about things that are going on with the school, and we raise money for things and um, coordinate things and get feedback from parents, stuff like that. Pretty exciting job, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, as a part of my job being a parent rep today, I had to listen to this like all school parent association thing. So, you know, Olympia's in nursery and Zoe's in kindergarten, but I'm hearing about things happening in middle school and seventh graders and high schoolers and stuff. And I saw this presentation of what's going on in seventh grade science. And you would not believe these kids, they are taking their genomes and they are looking at their DNA at school to understand things like are they a morning person or are they a night person? And like literally, what, what does their gene say? I BF. was so floored by this. I was watching this thing just on my laptop, watching this thing. And then they're like, yeah, and then we take the genome over here and we have this PCR machine and we pull out the code and we look at it and we tell them like, are you a morning lark? Or are you a night owl? A and so if they came lark. home talking about being a lark or a night owl or something in the middle, <laughs> Like that's what's happening. And I was just like, this is so amazing and shocking. So advanced. That's and wild. also just like, what are these seventh graders going to think when they come out in the real world? And it's like, hey, like your health insurance thing is like you went in for like a normal procedure and it costs like $20,000 and like <laughs> it's not customized. It, it's like it's like the world that these kids are in and like their perception of like what they expect I don't think we have like come to terms with how different it is today than like what it's going to be. It's just, it was mind blowing in like the best way possible. I truly cannot fathom that because I feel like my seventh grade science experience was learning about like rocks. We would just learn about and, rocks. And think about how much you use that now. I do have a pretty nifty rock collection, Savage. Come on. Is that true? <laughs> no. I believe you. It's okay. If that's your thing, Sylvie. If you're into, you know, I have some into, decorative, some decorative rocks. Some geodes, probably. Little amethyst. What do you got? Should I show you? I'm not gonna show you. I'm not Why gonna not? show you. Let's see it. It's fine. Oh, that'll okay. that'll be oh, for another oh, so time. You're not talking about rocks. You're not talking, you're talking about crystals. You're talking about crystals. I'm a hundred percent not. And I snorted well, I on crystals. That snort, that snort is a crystal. That's no, a crystal snort. But you know, it what it reminded me of hearing you talk about this is a little bit like what we're gonna hear in the interview in terms of like a market being ahead of customers or customers mm -hmm. being ahead of a market. Were you getting mm -hmm. that analogy? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Were you there? Think, Were you I with me? Great transition. Yeah, no, it's like <laughs> two on the these nose. Kids are going to expect a different thing. Yeah. And they're going to come into the world with a very different behavior change. Yeah. And they're going to want different services and have different expectations. Exactly. And so get ready for the change, people. Change is coming. Get ready but for the change. To get ready, I think it's time to talk. David, let's jump into that interview. 
I keep doing this every time. You sure do. Uh, David, good to see you, man. It's been it's been a little bit. How are you? I've been fantastic, man. It's been more than a minute. More than a minute. You have gray hair now. I do, <laughs> especially in especially in the beard. Uh, it's it's come in stress of COVID, aging. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all that was the first thing you said to me. I was like, we're catching up before this, and David's like, um, so you have gray hair now, right? Like, and I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, then I will come on the podcast because if you don't, I don't want to do it. Only only one requirement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, you were just saying, oh, go ahead. I was going to say pretty much I don't think Chris shaved when I met him. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was like 2009, <laughs> I think, something like that. Yeah, it was about that. Yeah. Yeah, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a first question I always ask everyone, but I want to say this first because it really stands out to me. Like you're one of the first people I met in the startup world who just like you reached out one day and you're like, hey, you're doing this stuff. It's cool. We should chat. Let's hang out. Let's learn from each other. And I was like, who is this guy? What is he doing? <laughs> and then you're just like crazy nice and super into learning and like bringing people along for the journey. And I mean, I know you still do that, but I am just like shocked by how great a moment it was in terms of how to meet somebody. It was 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet most people don't realize they could actually just like reach out to people and be like, hey, you're doing cool stuff. Can we learn from each other? Absolutely. I mean, I think it is the quickest hack. It's uh just reach out with a genuine interest and like no agenda not and you know we've got to learn from each other for 13 years now which is awesome um well look i'm super excited you're on the show uh the show's called talking too loud mm-hmm. and it's because as you know when i get excited i cannot control the volume of my voice yeah we we're dealing with this at the beginning of the setup because they said i come in too hot but um we like to start the show by asking our guests like what has them talking too loud so what's got you going these days Mm, just like everyone else, Web3. I'm kind of geeking out on Web3 right now. So yeah, you can lump me into that crew. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the the reason I am is because it kind of, um, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but it really reminds me of the early days of when I got into what I do now, right? Which was the beginning of Web1, basically. And I always look back at that time. And I think this is one of the reasons we connected so well, like so fondly, because you know what it was like? We were all pirates. And nobody mm-hmm. knew anything. And like in Web 2, like that's when I started to get to know you. We didn't, we didn't know everything that we know now in terms of like the models and freemium and this and that and whatever. But in Web 1, it was like we didn't even know how to build a website. And so Web 3 feels like that. And it's, it's awesome because it's multidisciplinary. It's like video people and artists and like musicians and like writers. And everyone's just trying to figure out and there's no rules. And so I'm really geeking out on that part of it. That's awesome. And I, I am too. And I feel like I didn't realize the magic of what was occurring the first time. Mm-hmm. Like all these people that I connected with went on to do these unreal mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And we were just normal people like hanging out and like <laughs> figuring stuff out. And this should happen again. Mm-hmm. And it's like the opportunity is basically just like sitting there for anyone to be involved in it. What advice would you give to people who this is the first time they're at like the start of something really new and big and is also uncertain? Uh, and I'm giving this advice to people, I'd say like, this is super exciting time. If you want to jump into something, you know, this is the area that I would kind of focus on if you're in the technology or arts field. Uh, I would say that, you know, most of it will turn out like every other time, you know, there'll be a bunch of hype in the beginning, there'll probably be some stuff that doesn't work out. But in the long term, if you stick with it, I think there's some magic that happens on the other side. And that's what happened in Web 1, Web 2 when we met, and Web 3. And like, this is the time when you can get in and nobody's an expert. Like nobody, literally, there's no books, there's nothing. And so like you can, and this is what happened to me. This is how I got into this world in web one, which was like, I knew more than anyone else by spending a couple months, like going deep on it. And all of a sudden I was an expert, even though I probably had like two months of experience because there weren't that many people that were into it. And so like now, if this is the opportunity where you don't need a network, where you don't need like a background and you can just jump in and build a reputation overnight. Yeah, I, I love that. It's mm-hmm. like the experts are people who have two months of experience. Yeah, yeah, because they know way more. They can yeah. go deep into this into this thing. And there's no book to read. There's nothing to consume. You have to just go into it. Yeah, and I think we both I think see this massive thing happening now, mm-hmm. and we also both saw like Web two happening. Mm-hmm. And 
um, you've iterated, you had Performable, which you built and then sold to HubSpot. And then you went out and you started Drift in 2015. Mm -hmm. And then like you saw again, like a massive change occurring. You saw this conversational marketing opportunity. Can you tell people like what it felt like in that moment mm -hmm. to see that and then see here's how we can map a product to it? Because I think a lot of us in Web3 or in any time, <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out like, how do I map a product to this opportunity? And mm. you guys did it. And then you've grown unbelievably fast. You've built a massive company. I want to talk about lots of lessons that learned and all that stuff there. But from that first moment when you saw the fit, like, what does that feel like? What does that look like? I think the thing that I, I kind of like jump on now, in, and this is what we did at, at Drift and that we can do now in Web3 for anyone who's interested in that is like, you're looking for behavior change that's starting to happen like new habits, like whether it's NFTs or whatever in Web3, but was it with, you know, um, messaging with, in the case of Drift, like there's new behaviors changing, there's new habits forming. And as we know, habit change is so hard. It's so hard to like change your own behavior. And so when we see people already changing behavior on their own, having nothing to do with our idea, nothing to do with our product, that's an opportunity to go in and see like, can you use that change that they're already doing to enter a market or to reimagine something that may exist in the world already. And so like for us at Drift, we saw, and this is 2015, that everyone was moving, you know, to prefer messaging at a global level. And that was like everyone from your mom to your like kids were like messaging instead of being on the phone instead of email. And so we said like, oh, there's a global behavior change that's already happened, having nothing to do with us. Like, can we use that to kind of reimagine in our case marketing sales and service software, which is pretty much all I've ever built, and um, and kind of reimagine it for a new world because of this new behavior. So like you're riding momentum that exists. There's huge momentum and huge change happening now because of all of the Web3 stuff that's coming in. Nobody knows how to make sense of it, but like behaviors have already started to change. And maybe you can ride that momentum because I think as entrepreneurs, as creators, like we often, uh, including myself, want to like change behavior based on some idea or some product or some service that we want to create and behavior changes like, I don't know, it's near impossible. So I've given up on, on trying to change someone's behavior. I just want to like use a behavior change that they're already in the midst of and kind of help them through that. And then more behavior change on top of more behavior change, right? Mm -hmm. So like in the drift example, I mean, it's also worth saying, it's not like competition. Like mm -hmm. you saw the change being so large mm -hmm. that of course there's going to be competition. Of course there's oh, going to yeah. be other people in mm -hmm. there. And then like, also you've changed the company again, right? As other trends have happened. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we saw the beginnings of other people, you know, whenever you see massive behavior change like this, you're not going to be the only one. And by the way, you never want to be the only one. And so like, I think that's another like uh, common pattern that people fall in. And that's really about the ego. They want to create some like unique idea that's never been done and blah, blah, blah. It's like, in reality, like it's all iterations and all combinations of things that have been done in slightly different ways. So you want to see other people there because like I always say a market of one is not a market, right? You need a market and you need that market to be massive. And so over time, there should be a lot of competitors. And that is a good sign, even if it doesn't feel good. And I remind that to our team now where there's hundreds of competitors in our world where there were very few to none in some cases. That's a great thing. That means there is a market. That means there is demand. And now we just have to figure out how to win in that world. And then when you're going after something big and you see the market behavior change, you see the opportunity, how do you know if you're going after it fast enough? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know the answer, but you know, it never feels fast enough when you're in it. Um, often, often I want to feel like the market's moving slightly faster than me, although it doesn't feel good, it's uncomfortable. You never want to feel like you're moving way ahead of the market and trying to drag people along. Again, right, I'm trying to always like a ride momentum. And so uh, it's moving slightly ahead of me and we're trying to keep up, but we'll always be slightly behind. But we don't want to be too, too far behind that. We don't want to lag. Yeah, I love that. And as someone who's is mostly been uh, behind there's also been times I've been in front and it's not very fun when you make a thing you think is really sweet and no one's ready for it. And they're not using it. Like yeah. when we launched 360 video in 2015 yeah. or 2016, that was not a hit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I got my first Oculus. I was like, Oh my God, this is going to change everything. We have to support this. And then we had like, you know, 
100 people using it. It was yeah. so small. Um, <laughs> and so a little too far ahead. Mm -hmm. I want to stay on, the, on going fast. Obviously, like, you know, we've talked a lot about hypergrowth. You've named your conference at Drift around this. Um, when I think about people who, you know, you want to turn, use the term hypergrowth, you want to use blitzscaling, mm -hmm. hyperscaling, superscaling. <laughs> um, I think about you. Yeah. And um, we're actually hiring a ton this year and last year. And it's like, yeah. we're pushing the organization harder than we have before. But one of the things I think about is like, you know, shepherding the company through this change is really different than previous ones. I'm wondering if you can just share as you think about like, what does success look like as you shepherd an organization through a lot of change? Like, what does it look like? What does that feel like? I will say, uh, having kind of gone through that a couple of times, it never feels good because you're you're basically pushing the company into a state of discomfort and uh, and everyone's uncomfortable. And that's normal, right? Growth comes from being uncomfortable. It doesn't come from like being in bliss. There's not much growth that comes from being in bliss, whether that's personal growth or physical growth or like mental growth or in this case, company growth it never comes that way. So I think the things that we look for is the learning. Are we accelerating or are we at a very fast pace of learning? And for me, the only reason that's being matters in the context of the company is to have more chances of having the feedback loop, right? go full cycle, which is like, you kind of create something, you put something out there, you make an offering, you do something, and then you mm -hmm. get reaction from the market, and then you iterate on it, and you test it again. It's like this test feedback loop. And so the only reason I care about speed is like, uh, instead of having a few cycles a year, instead of having 10, can I have 20? Can I have 30? Can I have as many as possible? And kind of like iterate with the market and learn from the market. So it's all about learning. Uh, and then the other sign that I'm always looking at are, are we creating opportunities for people to like take big jumps, not only in their learning, but their professional kind of progression in terms of like responsibilities and, and new challenges and like new areas of focus. And so like we're creating new learning opportunities for everyone. We're also creating new opportunities from a growth standpoint for people in the company. And so like, that's a really good sign. But I will say like, the, it causes a lot of thrashing. It's not comfortable a lot. Um, there are people who were maybe fine when it wasn't that fast that are not going to be fine during. And so like, there's a lot of change that happens. But if you look back at all the people who have had remarkable careers, and they've gone through like those fast paces, parts of history, you know, where they have changed like that, they, they will look back at it fondly, right? Only in retrospect, but they will tell you during it was not easy. That's a, I, something I want to dig a little deeper. Yeah, in on. Like, so to scale quickly, Mm -hmm. or to scale to be big, maybe not even quickly, you need to have incredible leaders and incredible team members mm -hmm. who know what they're doing and can continue to scale all different operations through the business. Is it better to hire those world-class leaders or is it better to grow them? Mm -hmm. Both. The answer to, yeah. there's only two <laughs> answers to every question in life, both, and it depends. Yeah. Like if anyone gives you any answer, but those two answers, it's not a true answer. Yeah, so like, if you want like a yeah. yes, no, there is no yes, no in life. It's all like, it depends on the north might be yesterday and no tomorrow, like the context changes, but, uh, it's really both. I mean, you want to create opportunities, like ideally that's why people are there to grow and for leaders to emerge internally. But there are lots of places where you're going to need to bring people who have experience from the outside who bring a beginner's mind and they don't drag along tons of ego in the process. So meaning that they're willing to learn. Because like, you know, I always think about it and I kind of drew this out one time of like, you have like an individual's progression within a company, like, you know, and it could be like this, like this, like that, whatever, like their own personal growth. And then you have the company growth. And so like for you to continue to scale within a company and to continue to like grow in your role for a long period of time at a very fast growing company, it's pretty rare and kind of close to impossible because you have to like be growing slightly faster than the hyper growth of the company uh, to be slightly ahead of it, which is like, oh, you, there are gonna be points that you will be able to do that. And, but most of the time you're not gonna be able to do that. And that's why I think the legendary stories of whether it's founders or early employees who have lasted, you know, from like the zero stage to like building some massive insane company are like, so interesting and why we tell those stories so much it's like because it can't happen it doesn't happen like forget about the growth of the company the growth of the person being able to keep up at that pace is like it's beyond rare and so like um i think you know you want both but you're not going to be able to always have people growing 
slightly faster than the company. And you don't want them to grow too far. They can't be too far ahead of the company either, or else like, you know, now they're waiting for the company to catch up in order for them to grow. And so like, it's a tricky thing, but you will have people that at different parts will continue to scale. That resonates with Mm -hmm. me in that, like getting that speed right is really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is rare. And also, it's interesting too, because you're talking about like, you want the behavior change in the market to be right in front of you so you're uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. then you want people who can see around corners mm-hmm. and can help you avoid problems that are going to happen because they've done it before. Or they're such a fast learner that they can see what's going to happen and it's the first time. Yeah, but it's so rare. And, you know, yeah. people rightfully still get, you know, upset if they're like, oh, I've been here for whatever amount of time. I'm like, why can't I just keep? It's like what you're asking has nothing to do with this company. It's like the, It just happens to do with like your personal growth and the company growth rate. It's like, it's almost impossible to continue to scale at that crazy pace. Um, And then a similar type of question, but a little different. Like obviously you've built Drift and raised lots of money Mm -hmm. and have been able to like build and hire ahead. I've not raised that much money at (laughs) Wistia and we've kind of done it a different way. Um, But like on the other side, how do you think about um, knowing... This is, I know this is such a common question and you and I have talked about it before, but I still want to hear your answer. Mm-hmm. How do you know if you've raised the right amount or you're, you're investing the right amount for an opportunity? What does it feel like when it's the right amount? Um, I don't think I've ever gotten it right. So I don't know what it looks like. And so you can only look at it in, in retrospect. And it's usually that we invested either radically too little or radically too much. It's like the middle ground is okay. And like, it won't ever be optimized. But I think most of the time, like we get it generally in the middle, all of us like, and so, but it's only in retrospect that you're like, oh, I should have like invested twice as much or we invested way too much. But like, um, I think it's easier to tell like that you're investing too much because you're probably ahead of growth, ahead of the market, kind of like what you were saying when you launched the 360 product, like you can tell pretty quickly that the one that's harder to tell is like, should you have invested way more? And that's going to take more time to understand. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like my in my own journey, one of the things that I've come to terms with is like, wow, some of these markets, they're way bigger than I could have imagined, right? It's like, oh, I wasn't thinking about this on, you know, the scale that it actually exists. And then like, I was thinking about it from like what I see today and what I know today. Mm-hmm. And um, now I look at like startups and I look at something and I'm like, oh, if you're making inroads into a market and you're doing something that's really different and there is like competition, maybe you have uncovered something that's massive. Mm-hmm. But also because it's cheaper than ever to start companies, I feel like more companies don't raise money or go as big. No. Well, at the same time, there's more companies that are going bigger. It's like this weird dichotomy of stuff that's <laughs> happening. Yeah. It's like I, I see agree. these companies going huge ideas and I'm like, that doesn't seem that like that you should be raising that much to go like mm-hmm. head to head with Stripe. Like, aren't they like years ahead? And then over here, I see these like startups, I'm like, whoa, you're only eight people. You know, if you were 50 with your vision, like you might be just out of control crushing it. It's Mm -hmm. just such a hard thing. It's so hard. And I think, you know, we overinvest in kind of generally in, you know, the new idea, the new thing, the the new product that we want to bring to market with. uh, And it's always coming out of passion or, you know, like your own ego or collective ego. Like we all do that. We want to create something out of nothing. And so, in those cases, I think that's where we all typically overspend. But on the other side, I think we, in general, all of us, way underspend on things that are like working, are basic, and that, you know, have their own natural like pull or momentum to them. And for some reason, we all kind of like dismiss the size of those things and the opportunity there when it's like the story is always the same. Like if you were to focus more on the core stuff, uh, over time, as long as you continue to feel a little bit of pull from the market, like you probably would have done a lot better to invest there. But instead, we want to chase new ideas and new markets. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, my God, it's so it's so easy to fall into that trap. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, I think this thing is coming. <laughs> this is so awesome. Like we have to do it first. Yeah. And like over on the side, you have like a fantastic business. Mm-hmm. And you're like, just leave it. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. And it's like, no, actually, if you just put more into that core thing, you're going to be way better off. And sometimes you should do both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, you know, that ego trap. It's just like, well, I want to be launching the stuff. I want to be first. Like, I want to mm-hmm. define the new thing. That's what makes this all hard. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've fallen into that, not investing enough, and uh, continue to. I still keep falling into it. And I, I don't know. I'm hoping to learn. 
you know, that's why I do these podcasts. I'm hoping I can learn something from talking about this enough. Oh, I think you're the king of learning. It's just like, <laughs> that's your brand. That's your yeah. whole thing. One more question about scaling, just because I think like, you know, for, for folks listening who don't mm -hmm. get the chance to talk to you every day, I, I know this is a question I get. I'm sure it's a question mm -hmm. that, that people want to hear what you think. Um, where do CEOs get it really right? Like, where do they get it really right when companies are scaling? And where do they get it really wrong? Mm -hmm. I think the one, and this is the one that I try to kind of pour more time into because that just looking across on the really successful ones that I've been able to spend time with and who have done it, not only successful, but successful repeatedly or successful over a long period of time. I think that's an important qualifier because it's not like they had a success, um, yeah. no matter how big, but like those people are like continuously reaching out to people, learning from those people, soliciting advice like that. I'm kind of amazed. Like these people are just like, they have the beginner's mind, but then not only that, but they go out of their way to spend more time than I think that they should have, right? I'm like, how did they have this much time? Yeah. Like, and they'll yeah. be at the highest, highest, highest level for the longest time, but they're genuinely curious and they genuinely want to build relationships and learn from other people with no agenda, with nothing to sell, just going in and doing that continuously. I see that over and over and over, and I try to like copy that from them. And I think that's where I've been able to learn so much. It's just from other people who are slightly ahead or way ahead of where I am and just like, listen, just shut up and listen to what they have to say. Success leaves clues. You talk to enough people, like the clues are there. Love that. Success mm -hmm. leaves clues. Mm -hmm. um, how do you even get the tactically those people to like respond? Like if you're trying to learn from someone who's like further ahead from you, how do you get them to pay attention in a way where you actually can learn from them? Uh, one, I don't think you can solicit them and just be like everyone else. So you have to stand out and you can't be trying to sell them something or get something from them. I think you have to crack into like circles where they feel trusted or channels that they feel trust in. And so like reaching out cold email, cold whatever, that's kind of hard. Like I may be doing things like donating to certain charities that I care about. And wow, it happens like there's some of these people there. I get to know them there. And like everyone's disarmed because, you know, like we're all trying to do something or volunteer to help, whether it's students or whether it's, you know, people trying to get into certain areas. And that's an easy way to get in the same room as some of these people and build relationships. I think the the same, you know, in personal hobbies and sports and things like that, like these are just humans, right? They have all the same interests. And so like, if it comes from that, it comes genuinely from a place where like you're trying to help or you're interested in similar things that they are. I think that's the easiest thing, uh, easiest way to crack into those groups. And I think your point on like actually caring mm -hmm. and like having it actually match up to the things that oh, yeah. you want to do and the way you want to spend your time is like the difference, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, because people can smell passion. Mm -hmm. Like if you're passionate about something and they're passionate about it, that's how you build a bridge. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're faking it, it will be obvious. Yeah, that, yeah, totally. And I'll go out and do things all the time, events that have nothing to do with work or whatever. And like, that's when people like are disarmed and like you can build relationships and talk to them because no one has an agenda. We're not trying to sell anything or, or do anything in, the, in that context. Well, yeah, I think about, I, I don't know what year this was, but it's pretty early when I knew you and you're like, hey, do you want to go drive rally cars? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then That's you had all these people together for like two days and we're driving like, you know, like modified Audis and all this stuff, like through the mud and woods and like <laughs> doing like ridiculous um, it was such a lasting, crazy, fun experience. And there was literally no agenda on anyone mm -mm. trying to like sell a thing to anybody else. It was literally just like spending time together. Yeah. And I've had relationships with every single person that was there because of that. Right. And so like, we were just having fun. We were just like getting to know each other and that's it. No agenda. But now everyone knows each other because of, you know, silly events like that, that are fun. Um, one more scaling question, actually, I just realized. When you're going really fast, you're building lots of different things. You are hopefully getting it right in terms of like building enough of the core things to your product for your customer, mm -hmm. and you're building the new things and the different things. Like, how do you think people should be communicating with their customers through all of this? Like, how do you bring customers along on that journey when things are changing so quickly? Mm. On the customer involvement piece, um, that's the part that I'm most religious about. And so this is a daily conversation with my own team, even though like this is the stuff that I talk about. I've written lots of stuff on this. I wrote this book, Hypergrowth, that talks all about like building customer-driven teams. Like this is all I do. And I still end up talking to my team almost every day on this. I'm like, 
being better, getting more deliberate here, because that's when the magic happens. And those customers are actually the customers that you sell to. But like in most cases, the products that we build, our customer zero should be our own team. Like, and because like, if you can get your own team for most of the people, like, you know, if this applies to you, if your company can use the product that you're building, like you should be customer zero, like all the people in, you know, the different departments that can use your product, like something like Wistia, like everyone in the company can use, right? So like all those people should be represented in kind of the product development cycle and getting feedback from them and getting them to like, to love it and to use it every day or to like have a strong opinion over it because then it becomes that much easier to market, to sell, to service it, like if everyone's living it. And so like, that to me is my religion of like, you have to involve the customer in everything that you do. We're iterating with the customer. The only reason that we exist as a business is to serve these customers. It's nothing else, right? And so like, you have to involve them in because then if you don't, then you have to artificially put so many constraints and, and rules and process into the system to ensure that you're doing the right thing and not go off on a bunch of wild kind of goose chase kind of ideas. You have to iterate along the customer. Because again, I believe in this idea of like, we're here to serve the customer. That's it. It may be through product. It might be through something else, education, but like, that's the only job we have. Okay. That is awesome. I don't think I can beat that. So let's <laughs> uh, pivot. So you, you obviously Drift was in person. Now you are remote, but you have like different places where, you know, office spaces that people can collaborate, work out of. That's correct. Um, and you moved, you moved to New York. I didn't know this before we started today. When did you move there? Um, just in January. So a month. January. Yeah. A month. And what made you decide to go? Uh, because we're digital first. So the idea is that we have offices and we opened a new office in, in uh, London in, in the last six months. And uh, we'll continue to open offices, but those are more of collaboration spaces, places to film, like studios and things like that, when we have to do or events. But like, it's not a place for solo work anymore. And so solo work is done at home. Uh, once that happened and it was real, and I started to think that, you know, my closest friend, I grew up in New York City and my closest friends were here. And like, I still had family here. So I moved back and I still have a place in Boston. I still go back and forth, but really I spend all my time here. We have better bagels. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah, we said. Are you in New York? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brooklyn native. Oh, really? I'm a I feel queen. very proud of that. Oh, Queens, Queens. native. Okay. Yeah, Forest I Hills. I grew up in Forest Hills, but I live in Chelsea now. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I I moved back to Providence, Rhode Island. You which did? Is not as far, but yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I have a bunch of family here. My brother's here with his kids and my kids and my parents are here. And like in uh, summer 2020, I ended up like potting up with like most of my family. Oh, yeah. And it was just like w watching my little girls who Interact, are four and right? six now. Yeah. And just like have all these other people around them all the time mm -hmm. and like have their cousins around them and their aunts and uncles. I was like, this is an amazing way to raise children. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then we just decided, screw it, we'll do it. And so I'm down here and, you know, I go up to office every once in a while. But I also felt like because we're making the shift to being like, we call it hybrid, but very similar, like not requiring people to be in the office. Yeah. Like, you know, we were 10% remote pre COVID and now we're 40% outside of Boston. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, I mean, it's changed a lot as it has for everyone. I was like, if I'm not living this life also, what will happen? Right? Like if I'm just walking, if I can walk to the office every day, it won't um, be good. It won't, I don't think it'll actually be good for culture versus mm -hmm. like forcing us to like, actually myself, like live that different culture and learn from it and figure it out. When do I miss being in person? Mm -hmm. What are the stuff that I want? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I forced it. I did the same thing. I forced it for us not to do solo work, including myself from the office, because I, I had had that experience a long time ago in a different company. And, uh, you know, it just leads to what I think is like an inequitable experience. Because like, whoever starts showing up in the office, if you're there or some other like uh, boss or whatever leader is there, like, those people are going to be disproportionately favored, like, because we all have bias to the people that we see all the time. And so like, it'll just lead to like a weird, weird culture. And so like, I, I'm trying to avoid that. I want us to be equitable in everything. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. awesome. You know, I was looking at the calendar for like the next year, and we're saying like, these weeks, we're going to try to be in person. Mm -hmm. So if you feel comfortable, and you want to come, this is the moment. Oh, cool. And we'll have events and stuff like that. And if you want to collaborate or get together or video shoots or whatever, or you, you can work mm -hmm. there, but um, trying to give people more option and more choice around when should you actually be there? When should you not? Because I do think, I mean, obviously the, the genie's out of the bottle on this one, like <laughs> yeah, flexible work is here. Remote working is here. Like you don't <laughs> have to be 
And I think it's 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 funny. I I was talking to someone actually also today, and they're like, "Yeah, so are you do you require people in the office because you you were so in person before?" I was like, "You think I even could? Like, you I think am. I could get away everyone, with that?" Like, everyone just like moved. You, also, like yeah, it's like, like the, the yeah. The companies that are requiring people in the mm-hmm. office are the companies that are dealing with the great resignation. Right? It's like, <laughs> it's like you do you understand what just has occurred? Yeah. Like everyone's leaving. They want flexibility. They want control. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, we call it like a one-way door. It's like, there's no way. There's no way that we can. One, people moved everywhere. Two, we hired everywhere. And so like, what are we going to do now? How are we going to force people to come back? Why would we force people to come back? And it doesn't make any sense. And what's, what's changed about the culture since, since doing this? I think, you know, it's more the, the work part hasn't changed that much. I think what's changed is like we've had to figure out and we still are trying to figure out some of the stuff that you're doing. Like, how do we build like the social connections? How do we do that? Especially for people earlier in their career or kind of new to the company, like who don't have uh, a history with the company or have uh, yeah. a network in the company. How do we do that? Because we relied so much on like in-person events and, you know, like we used to have Camp Drift where we bring the whole company to camp. We do all these like event type things to bring people together, including our own event for our customers, like everyone in the company would come. So like that social connection part is the part we're trying to figure out. Like there's been like zero in terms of like the actual work part of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's similar. I realized recently that like if you came into the office, Mm -hmm before COVID, you would see a lot of people doing stuff that didn't look like work. You know, like you would see people hanging in the kitchen or you'd come in, there's some like event happening and yeah, videos yeah. being shot and there's like chaos. Mm-hmm. And obviously people were, if you went upstairs, you saw them working. But yeah. like, if you came downstairs <laughs> in the lobby, it often didn't look like work. And I realized like, oh, this is like permission to do things that are not work mm-hmm. with the people that you work with. Yeah, And that permission like remotely has been, it's taken much more intentionality to actually like mm-hmm. figure out mm-hmm. like what's the stuff that you do to actually spend time together. And one thing we started doing actually maybe like three, four months ago is we had a hackathon and a team came up with the idea of having like an internal radio station. Oh, cool. Um, W-I-S-T-F-M. And so basically a few times a week, someone DJs and the idea is often that you're working while they're DJing. So like you hear this coworker like introducing songs or playing stingers that are like, that was part of the hackathon project, like yeah. different people on the team, like welcome to WISTFM, like stuff like that. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And then the, is that what and a then stinger there's like a, is? I don't know what a stinger is. Oh, a stinger is like, yeah, like the recorded uh, little clip oh, okay. of like yeah. different mm-hmm. Wistians like saying WISTFM and like saying some ridiculous thing. But anyway, you like listen to what someone puts together while you're, you know, coding or writing emails or building a blog post or designing something. And then you have the chat room. So you can be in the chat. People will talk about the music. And it's one of those things that's like, it's not even been two years yet, right? Mm -hmm. Since like COVID started. And I was realizing like, oh, I feel like we're starting to figure out some of this stuff. Like this is a good example of like an online first thing that really helps people feel connected. But it's not like I figured out how to build a culture in two years in person. No. Also, you you stunned me. When you said it's only been, it hasn't been two years. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's been like yeah. at least three in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, I want to bring it back to you. And like, you're always learning and you're always building. Mm. Um, and I mean, you've started five companies. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Or do yeah, you have a secret five. six that I don't know about? Five. No, no more. Um, <laughs> no more. There will never be a six. Yeah. <laughs> Where does your drive come from? Uh, only learning. That's it. Like personal regression learning. I always say like most of the companies... Most of the five companies were kind of like me trying to learn something that kind of somehow turned into a company. They weren't like, I've never really had this kind of movie version of like, I'm going to sit down. Hmm. What company should I create? Let's create a business plan. Let me, I'm like, I've never like approached it. It's been about personal curiosity and like wanting to hack on something, wanting to build something, wanting to like have an idea around something, but it wasn't really about like a business case. And um, at least I can't think that way. And so for me, the companies are all about selfishly personal progression, learning, and doing that with a group of people, of like-minded people. And so like, that's what I really, that really gets me going. Were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Or were you I was lazy with learning in this way? Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my teachers would tell you. Uh, most lazy. Uh, I don't know, you're probably too young to remember the movie, The Breakfast Club, but I'm the, I'm the I guy. Know it. I know. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, many people have told me I was the guy who was sleeping in the back 
Judd Nelson. So that that was my character. That was my archetype in school. Do you still define yourself as lazy? Mm -hmm. Extremely lazy. Mm. But people are like, what are you talking about? Like, you're like super motivated. I'm like, no, I'm not. I am like, I'm default lazy. And then when I'm like motivated at something, like I'm like a thousand percent in and then like lazy. Right. And so like, I don't know. I'm like a sleeping animal that then wakes up and like charges something full force I like a lion yeah. and then goes back to sleep all the time. Um, I, I want to share something and you tell me if this is okay to actually be in the podcast. Sure. So um, we were having lunch at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to guess it's like 2013, mm-hmm. 2014. Mm-hmm. It was pre-drift, I think. And we we're just like laughing along, like at lunch, just like laughing and laughing and telling stories. And someone came over who worked with you at HubSpot mm-hmm. and they like were clearly terrified of you. Mm-hmm. Like they're and <laughs> and I like watch this interaction of this person, like they're like, holy shit, like that's David Cancel. Like, you know, and then they walked away and you're like, Yeah, I'm a little bit more serious. I'm in the office. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> is that is that an accurate representation? Is that true? Mm-hmm. Is that purposeful? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, I like um. I don't know if it's purposeful is the right way. It is what I am. I'm, you know, okay. in a work context, I am for some reason just like laser focused on, I'm just super present on like whatever we're doing now. Kind of like I always say like, look, you, people either live so, where, somewhere in the spectrum in the past and then they're like yeah. always like, oh my God, why did I say that or say this or this? That's, I've never had that thought once in my life. I don't know what that says about me. I've never been like, why did I say that to I'm some, that so person? I'm so jealous <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm not one time. You're the opposite. I'm not oh one time. God. I can't remember one my time. My mind is blown. Nothing. Wow. I don't know. That, that might okay. not be a good thing. And then uh, I'm like the extreme present and some people live in the future. And so because of that, when I'm doing something, I'm 1000% or when we're hanging out, I'm 1000% there and not anywhere else. Like, and so... Uh, when I'm at work, I'm like that. And so like, I'm not, someone asked me like, oh, what did you do yesterday? I'm like, I literally cannot remember. I, I cannot tell you. If you ask me now, I'm like, I don't know what I did yesterday. Nothing. And you had I, a big week though. Didn't you go to the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. I went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> when was that though? Like two days ago or something. That was like a week ago, yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. So like I live in the present and because of that, people are like, oh, he's just focused. He doesn't want to talk about anything else, which I don't. Like if we leave work and we're like hanging out, I'll talk to you about everything, anything. But when I'm there, I'm like laser focused. And so people will often say, you know, I'm robotic or which I probably am. And, uh, or like, he doesn't like to have fun. (laughs) Uh, But I do like to have fun, just not in that context, right? I'm there to do. So you like compartmentalize, you get it done and you go at a thousand, a thousand percent. It's still, yeah, I don't, I haven't been able to figure out how to do it differently. And so. I get it in that if you only know me in that world, it's like, oof, yeah. It seems to work, so. (laughs) I can only do it, that's it. Okay, well look, we don't have much time left and I, Sylvie's gonna kill me when I say this, but like, I wanna go back to Web3. I've been covering, like on every episode of Talking Too Loud, before it starts, Sylvie says, don't talk about Web3 (laughs) because it- it, That's not exactly what I say. That's basically what you say. But I think if if you've listened to this part of the episode, and you know DC, and you know how you think, and you know how you learn. Mm-hmm. And we talked about like, this is a big shift. Just like, what are the takeaways you have right now about how like Web3 interacts with Web2? And how would you think about the opportunities that seem obvious today um, versus that seemed obvious like two months ago? Oh, I would just say like, if I wanted to start something, which I don't, uh, and if I wasn't um, operating Drift, I would be all in on Web3. Yeah. All chips in, like right now, yeah. 100%. Uh, knowing that most of those chips might not go anywhere, but I would be a thousand percent in. So like if anyone's in that state of like, hey, they're thinking about, they're interested in starting something, they're curious, whatever, I'd say all in, go all in. And um, knowing that, again, most of it won't work, but that is, that's exactly what should be happening in this. It has nothing to do with Web3 or whatever. It just like at this part of like something this early in any context, like most of it is going to not go anywhere, right? But there's some exciting things that you'll learn from it. It'll be the fastest way to learn and to gain a reputation and gain credibility and and maybe create something awesome. So I would do that. I'd say, you know, between Web 2 and Web 3, like, I think the advantage that people that are 
native to this will have are going to be incredible, right? I think we're going to, yeah. most of us that are web two or some of us like me, web one, one, two, we bring a lot of legacy. And so we're thinking about things in a very different perspective than someone who's going to be born in this and, or just starting in this. And so like, I have a friend who's, uh, you know, he's, He's probably like 40, I think he is. He started a lot of companies uh, and very successful. He's like, all I do is hang out with 20-year-olds now because I'm trying to figure this out. Like, I'm trying to learn mm-hmm. from them mm-hmm. Like because they're native in this and they're they're moving at a pace that uh, I don't understand. If you're interested in marketing at all, like some of the, the community-based stuff I've just been like spending so much time in, specifically with NFTs, because like there's some really interesting things that I think we can learn and take into web to base companies in that community-based kind of activation and marketing that's happening with projects in NFTs, NFT land right now. And so if you're web two and you're trying to like learn something, whether it's from like selling or, or the marketing context, like go into discords, go into join a bunch of communities for NFTs, look at exactly what they're doing and how they're activating communities and getting them involved and getting them like motivated. You can learn a lot and kind of help your business by doing that. Love that. And I, I think for me, it's like actually like a perfect way to put into practice like mm-hmm. what we talked about mm-hmm. today, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's all about speed of learning. It's about more iterations. Like mm-hmm. that's what the speed is about. It's about closing the loop on like what the value is for customers. And the opportunity that exists is like, it's a wide open space. We don't know what will happen, but probably whoever can figure out how to get the most shots on goal, like mm-hmm. they're going to be the one who scores the most. But right, like that's yeah. what it feels like. And it's, it's so in a world where so many, there's like a SaaS company for everything now. <laughs> and then you over here, there's like nothing. There's nothing. And, you know, even if you do nothing more than like get into a bunch of discords and observe what's happening in terms of that marketing community activation, like, man, like the speed, at, because they're starting from nothing. Uh, and most of the stuff that they're trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and they're iterating at such a blinding speed that if you just sit there for a few months, like going through it and being a part of it and looking at it, man, the learning that you're going to get is like exponential compared to anything that you're going to get in kind of web two land in the same kind of marketing context, because the cycles are just so much faster than any of us could do in this world. I think this is a perfect way to end. DC, thank you so much for being here. Of course, brother. Um, Where can people find you? How can they learn more from you? Uh, I'm on everywhere as D-C-A-N-C-E-L, D-Cancel. And so just hit me up on any social, anything. And that's where I am. Awesome. Thanks for being here today. All right. Thank you both. This is awesome. Okay. So we got into Web3, but we didn't go that deep. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I also thought the version that we got into today is very much a universal how do you learn in a situation, which is, you know, that's what cancel is all about. And I mean, he lives and breathes this. Him in this interview is who he is. Um, last time I saw him in person, which was like, I think November 2019 or something like that, he's exactly the same way. You sit down, have a conversation. He's super smart, super intense, constantly, 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 constantly learning. It's like awesome. That anecdote that you shared towards the end was pretty funny about how he has a work persona that he then described as being sort of hyper-focused, hyper-present, but that people think of him as being a kind of scary, intense boss. Um, I don't know. He was loose on the show. We saw a different side of DC. Well, I think that's what you get. I mean, he's like, as he said, he's like, was a thousand percent with us, which is which is great. Yeah. Um, and it's also cool, I think, for me to learn from somebody who has scaled at such a crazy pace and with such big dollars and just done it in a different way because like, you know, he's constantly learning but and I'm learning from him. Like, you know, we talked about the trajectory of like hiring um, folks and like the company's growing at a certain rate and not everyone is going to grow exactly that rate. So some people are not going to grow as fast and that's totally fine. And some people are going to grow faster and need to do something else. It's hard to get that right. Uh, but it's such like a, that's like a hard one lesson, right? Like that's not an easy lesson to figure that out. Yeah. And I feel like it was especially timely considering all the growth that Wistia is going through right now. Um, and also it was interesting to hear him say that growth never feels comfortable. And like to just kind of keep reminding yourself that that itchy sweater sensation, it's going to stay for a while. It's going to stay for a while. And you kind of have to lean into that discomfort 
and just know that you're, you're finished my thought. You're. Yeah. It's like, you're going to look back on it. I think as like, you're going to look back on the hard time. That's not what you're saying. Well, that's what I was thinking. You are. Yes. I couldn't. Yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable and you feel like there's enough hours in the day. Yep. And then you look back and you're like, oh, that's when I grew the most. That's when I learned the most. Yes. That's when I discovered the things about myself that I didn't realize like I could do. The ends justify do, the means. Like, that's what I couldn't think of. Gosh. Yeah. We're back. And I think it's interesting to try to balance that with the journey. Like, because it's like the ends justify the means, but also the journey matters in that, like, if you don't want to grow in that way and that growth is happening, like, you probably shouldn't attempt it. Um, and, if it is something that does take longer, like uh, one of the things I've talked a lot about is like, you know, I think the the market that Wissy is in took a lot longer than I thought mm-hmm. it would, right? Like we've been at this 15 years. There's no way I could be continuing at it if I didn't actually enjoy the process. Um, but there are often times which are very uncomfortable. And like back to my kids actually and school and all this full stuff. Full circle. Um, yeah, full circle. Bookend it. That's what they say in the business, put those bookends on. <laughs> Um, like, you know, I was having this conversation with my six-year-old, which is, she's like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school, dad. And I was like, well, you know, sometimes we don't want to do our job, but we have to. And like, often it's when you're learning at the beginning is like the hardest part. And she's learning to read and kind of figuring Mm. it out, but it's hard. It's hard when you're sounding that, that stuff the first time, like it's, it gets much easier in the future when you know you can do it, but it's hard at the beginning. And it's just funny how like a six-year-old can experience that when learning to read. And like me, like a 30, what am I, eight, nine, 38 year old can, one can, can billion experience that. Years old. One billion. I can experience that like as like we're trying to scale right now. And a 22 year old can experience that jumping into Web3 for the first time or a 50 year old can. There's no point that it stops. Yeah. Basically, it just continues. Yeah. And it's always scary when you're in it. And then, right, you have this sort of retrospective. You look back, you say, damn, I grew. I was growing them. Damn. Damn. Bunch of lifelong learners here. Lifelong learners, lifelong listeners, lifelong subscribers, we hope. Oh, yes. If you are still listening, (laughs) if you've been listening this lifelong into the episode, (laughs) uh, please subscribe. Um, We'd love to have you be part of the team, part of the crew. Um, You can subscribe via email with com and get all sorts of updates that we have that are even outside of episodes. You can subscribe natively in whatever podcast apps you're in, rate and review us. And of course, if you have feedback, send it to us at ttlpod at wistia.com. We'd love to hear from you or send us a voice memo, something, getting on the show. We'll see what happens. Um, And I think, is that it, Sylvie? Is that, have we missed anything or are we there? That's done. We We tied it with a bow. I'm going to keep doing weird things like that because the video and you're getting, I'm getting better. You're getting comfortable. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. That's great. That's great. Yeah. In the spirit of growth. All right. See you, Sylvie. See you, world. Bye, guys. Bye. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.